0: With all the troubling news in the world, with the continuation, although hopefully the decline, of the COVID pandemic, do you find yourself dreaming about travel? Do you ever dream about particularly luxurious travel? You know, first class on a plane, the champagne is flowing, the caviar is on its way. Do you ever wish you could talk to someone who's had a lot of those luxury experiences? And even better, someone who makes a habit and a business out of sharing tips to make real luxury travel possible for those of us with annoyingly limited budgets? I do too.
1: Talking to chefs and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. You're listening to the Chef Chefdemoni Podcast. Here's your host, Graham McLennan.
0: Welcome back to demoni Thank you for being here. We are going to have a lot of fun today. And if you're new to Chef demoni welcome to the show. I'm Graham McLennan, and this is my podcast about food. These days, I work as a lawyer, but in recent years, I have also cooked professionally, and Chefdemony is my way of staying in touch with the culinary world now that I'm out of the kitchen and back into the office. As longtime listeners know, Las Vegas is one of my, eh, let's say, keen interest, Obsession is such an ugly word. And I've been lucky to cook in some amazing kitchens in Las Vegas and to interview some chefs and even some lawyers in that wonderful, food-loving desert city. And today, something really special. I am delighted to share my talk with Michael Traeger of Travel Zork and the fantastic ZorkCast podcast. You'll hear directly from Michael on just what Travel Zork is, but in brief... Travel Zork is focused on things that I love, delicious food, luxury travel, and amazing casino experiences. Michael and his team have created a community where people share insights on accessing these luxury experiences in a money-saving way through loyalty programs, points and miles, it's often called in the travel world. And while Michael knows the travel world really well, he also knows casino loyalty programs. So you will learn about those today. And, and early in the show, we dive into comps in Las Vegas and elsewhere. Those are complimentary things and experiences that casinos give to players to keep them loyal. The most well-known comp is one that you may well have had, free cocktails while you're gambling in Vegas. Now, Michael takes that concept to something of a different level, so keep an ear open for the cognac comps. After that talk, I asked Michael to share some of his favourite Las Vegas food experiences. Think back to some of your favourite dining experiences. Do you remember the individual dishes? Very likely you do. Do you remember the exact wines? Do you remember their years? For some, for sure. But Michael discovered a good Facebook trick during our talk to relive meals from years past, and, and this just might be useful to you as well. Michael and I reminisce about restaurants we love, about dishes that produce powerful memories, and Michael even uses this new technological technique to track down the exact year of a Madeira that he enjoyed with some cheese at a restaurant in the Wynn property in Las Vegas.
1: Ah, and the cheese I had was with a 1910 Madeira. Wow, I found it. Well, and I'm doing this on the fly. This is not (laughs) bad technology for an old man.
0: I really have to learn more about how to access these casino comp experiences. Both inside and outside the casino environment, Michael is a great source of information on fine dining, and he even shares today some experiences dining in first class on airlines. But we also agreed that food does not need to be fancy or expensive to be wonderful and to be memorable. In fact, we definitely agreed on a long-time favorite food, and I love Michael's wine pairing idea for this.
1: Fried chicken and pairing fried chicken with non-vintage champagne.
0: Uh, it doesn't get better than, you know what? Champagne
1: and fried chicken or chicken wings. Absolutely. It really goes well. You don't need expensive champagne. You just need, you know, it, it goes really, it, it goes, goes really good. well.
0: Toward the end of our talk, I asked Michael whether Las Vegas still represents good value. And we have a discussion about the future of the hospitality industry generally. It's an industry that I think will forever be changed by the pandemic. There's a lot to cover, so I will leave links in the show notes to many of the things Michael and I discuss, including his two Facebook groups, one focused on travel and casinos, and the other purely on caviar. How fantastic is that? Join Michael and me for our virtual talk now, and if you're like me, start dreaming about your next trip to Las Vegas. Michael, a real pleasure to welcome you to the show. I've been a fan of your show, Zorkcast, for some years now. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you about all things culinary, about champagne and luxury travel, which I know you love, and Las Vegas, which we both love. So thanks very much for being on Chef Demoni. Thank you. And thanks for having me today. Of course. Now, for those who don't know, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about Travel Zork, which I think of as the umbrella around the Zork Empire. And full disclosure, I recently became a customer of Travel Travel Zork Travel. My wife and I uh, booked through you for the Encore Tower Suites in Vegas, uh, which I can't wait to experience again in April. So, over to you. What is Travel Zork all about?
1: Basically, you know, simply Travel Zork is is heavily is a website you know, and a brand that's heavily focused on casino experience. But we dive pretty deeply into casino loyalty and comps. We do, I mean, that's sort of one of our focuses. So, I mean, I guess... You know, saying something like casino experience is rather broad, but, you know, and we do love everything that has to do with the casino experience. And like we talked about extensively, you know, with food and beverage and with, you know, cocktailing and shows and all the stuff that goes on in Vegas and at other casino uh, venues. But, but there is also that other side of it that has to do with loyalty. Also at Travelzork, we, we do publish a, a weekly Vegas news roundup that we've been doing for a lot of years. But if you ask me to simply explain it, and I'm not so good at simply explaining things sometimes, <laughs> uh, Zork is basically the intersection of two of my major passions, which is travel loyalty, or what people call miles and points, and casino loyalty. And Travelzork travel is actually a rather new addition where we decided that it might be compelling for us to you know, have a boutique full service travel agency with Vegas as the focus. And a lot of that was because a friend of mine kept saying for years, you guys should also sell travel. So we do, but rather, rather specifically, you know, not we, I mean, in general, you know, when you sell travel, you can't be everything to everyone. And it's a very competitive, uh, it's a very competitive market. So we mostly just focus on, on luxury, on luxury travel, luxury hotels a lot of Vegas luxury and and a couple other things that tie in with that. But that's not a, you know, we're not exactly the travel agency to come to to say, like, I want the cheapest price for a hotel in this area. But we're very tuned into, we'll get you the same price you would have gotten somewhere else, but we'll get you additional luxury perks like breakfast and resort credits and room upgrades. So it's less focused on necessarily finding you the best price, it's finding you the price which is competitive and within the market, but getting you additional value for that. And there are certain customers that that really works for and certain clients it doesn't. So that's a little bit of our our story with travels or travel. But really, we also, I mean, a lot of what we talk about with travel, which is interesting with the miles and points end of it, is is when it makes sense to use your points, when it makes sense to buy travel, looking at the fact if you have elite status or you don't have elite status. I mean, it's extremely multivariable. So there's, there's a lot to, there's a lot to look at. It's hard. Sometimes I need to take a step backwards because I've been so deep in miles and points loyalty. Like since I was a crazy teenager, since I was 12 years old, i been right? obsessive with these loyalty programs. Yeah. Which was, uh, I always, I often say since 1982 and I go, but I was only 12 years old in 1982, such as <laughs> so I could preface it so people don't think I'm ancient. You know, I do feel <laughs> ancient sometimes.
0: Well, but, you, you shouldn't because based on that math, you and I are exactly the same age. So you're, <laughs> you're just hitting the prime. Exactly. And I I just loved, uh, you know, I always loved
1: airplanes. I always loved in-flight experience. I loved luxury hotels. I mean, I was a strange child. I was an only child. My parents I was very fortunate. My dad was a global executive. We traveled a lot. And I was the kid who turned six years old. And your parents said, what do you want? For your birthday dinner, and I said, "I want you to take me out for French onion soup and escargot." <laughs> you know that's this so. extremely sensible to me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, which probably most six year olds don't say that. <laughs> I but think that's, that's right. But that was sort of my, you know, that's what I grew, grew up with. I like, I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed Japanese food from the age of five. So we lived in an area where there were a lot of Japanese restaurants in New Jersey, and you're talking that's. Not 1975, 1976, 1977. There wasn't a lot of sushi and sashimi in, in going the US. On. Yeah, serious. exactly. So so I got, I really was very fortunate to get a lot of exposure to those kind of things. My dad was a super regular at the uh, Russia Tea Room in the 1970s. Yes. and
0: Wow. Was,
1: yeah. So that's, so I got exposed to it yeah. and I loved it. So it just sort of, you know, kept building from there. You've
0: carried it on. And, <laughs> have you ever. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you about some more food experiences, Michael, but I want to I want to shift, even though it's very early in the morning here for me on the West Coast, let's shift to the drinks side a little bit. I know from listening to Zortcast. I just listened to your latest episode with, uh, with your co-host Steve from the UK, and he was talking about the champagne experiences on his British Airways flight over to Las Vegas recently. I know you're a champagne fan as well, but I understand cognac is sometimes on the menu too, and I want to tie this to a Vegas experience that you've mentioned to me but I don't know the details around it at all and this is a, a cognac tasting I think at the MGM property.
1: Yes, a really good friend of mine once he was he was staying actually at SkyLofts and he said, you know, we're in Vegas together, we should do we should do like a vertical you know, comparison of the Remy and the Hennessy lines of Cognac. I said, well, I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> <I appreciate it. laughs> so I'm trying. So what we did is we did it in different uh, bars. I'm trying to re- recreate. So the Remy XO versus the, the Hennessy XO were really uh, easy to do. You know, XO Cognacs are relatively easy to do. And I think we did those. I can't remember which bar we did it at. It might have been the Mansion bar. So there's a casino at at MGM which is called the Mansion Casino and they have a Mansion Casino bar.
0: Okay. Now for those who don't know and I only know a little snippet about the Mansion I think which because as I've explained to you I'm very much a Vegas low roller when it comes to gambling so I don't see the private salons ever but I understand the Mansion generally is is a place reserved for very much for high rollers is that right? So if I'm not betting whole lot per hand am i ever going to be able to see the inside of the mansion bar
1: well i mean you could walk in that area for sure if you can find it these they don't (coughs) they don't (laughs) make it easy to find. what happens is uh at the mgm you have skylofts which are premium accommodations which are these incredible suites at the top of mgm some of them are duplex actually i think Most of them are duplex because they have these great staircases and amazing showers. And they have like one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom. So you've got the Skylofts accommodations and many people have heard of those. Then there's another hotel within a hotel called The Mansion, which used to not be sold for revenue at all, used to just be for the super high rollers. And they also have a restaurant in there where you can have breakfast, which I think they allow Skylofts guests. They didn't for a while and now they do. So that hotel, which is like sort of buried within MGM, for lack of a better way, that actually in the back of the mansion high limit room, it leads to that, leads to that hotel if you wanted to. And there is a really nice bar in that mansion high limit room called the Mansion Bar. And what was great about that bar is if you were with someone who was a pretty high level MGM player, that bar comped, I think up to like just at the bar while gambling up to about $70 a shot. So it's a very, that's how I've often, you know, it's, I I don't know if anyone's ever used this metric before, but when you compare VIP lounges, you know, what they just comp for, you know, not your comp dollars, but what they just give you, you know, as you sit down at the bar, yeah, as you sit down at the bar or play in that room, I've often used that ratio, you know, factor of like how much per shot, you know, 35 a shot, 70 a shot to give you some idea of the premium liquor that's that's available, because I think it's a pretty good metric. So they had... They used to have, and I, you know, I have no idea because this has been a couple of years, but my assumption is it's probably quite similar. They used to have Hennessy Paradise, and that was a wonderful thing to, to <laughs> drink <laughs> at a bar. So we had, I know we had the Hennessy Paradise there, and the the on the Remy line what lines up with Hennessy Paradis is Remy Extra. Though I don't think M- Remy Extra is sold anymore, so they might have come up with something else. So what we did for the Remy Extra is that my friend's host actually gave him a bottle of Remy Extra in his skyloft. <laughs> so wow. we had the Remy Extra there to uh, to drink and then and then I'm trying to remember where we had the Louis the 13th and Hennessy Richard but we did, and I think it was at two other bars and at, at MGM. So Sounds we like
0: an epic evening. This is all one evening.
1: Yeah, it really was. So usually, if I remember correctly, and this is totally splitting hairs, because it's all wonderful stuff. Like, I'm the kind of guy who says, like, any XO Cognac. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, those are major brands, Remy and Hennessy. But the Cognac world is extremely wide and varied. And there's a lot of stuff that's not even imported to the United States. But it's all, I think it's all wonderful, because it all has, like, all kinds of different essences and flavors. And, you know, it's mixed with stuff that's hundreds of years old and it's and it's this incredible like all these incredible flavor profiles. I'm not an expert on cognac, but the flavor profiles are amazing. And everyone's heard of of Remy and and Hennessy, but I I would say that I always, you know, I like Remy XO slightly more than Hennessy XO. I like the Remy Extra more than the Hennessy Paradis. But then when we did the comparison of the Louis XIII and the Hennessy Richard, we both liked the Hennessy Richard a little bit more. But. Splitting, <laughs> Again, splitting, total hair. splitting hairs. But <laughs> yeah. but it was a really yeah. neat experience, and it was, I was very grateful of my friend who had, like, lots of comps and other things that said, hey, let's just do this. Let's, let's wander around MGM. And so I don't remember all yeah. of the details, but I know the Paradise definitely, I know the extra was in his suite, and I know the Paradise was at the mansion bar. I don't remember the Louis. He'll probably, I'll have him listen to this episode. He'll be like, well, of course, don't you know we <laughs> drank the Risha? <laughs> uh, you know, it's yeah, very, bar. it's very, uh, interesting what we all remember like there's certain minutiae sure. that I remember from 10 years ago like it was yesterday and then there are other things I don't remember so that's always interesting <laughs> yeah. but that was uh that was that was a lot of fun and
0: I really it sounds it. it sounds like a great experience y- you know a couple I don't know whether these are questions or observations but it, one thing I've said on this show over and over again is it's not so much the food it's not so much the amazing drink although of course those things are important to to those of us who care about the culinary world it's the human interaction isn't it it's these experiences Experiences That you look back on years later and you can say, look at these experiences that we tried together. And then when you have a world as complex as the world of cognac. And again, uh, I, I often say I'm not a wine expert, which is very true. And I'm definitely not a cognac expert. But these worlds are so vast, you can dip your toe in them and you can go down the rabbit hole as far as you want and just share amazing experiences with other people.
1: Absolutely. and it's and it's it's a lot of fun that way. and it's sort of like a you know coming up with those those kinds of challenges for yourself. I don't think challenge is necessarily the right word, but it's it is it is sort of fun. It's also interesting from a casino comp basis, mm-hmm. you know, finding out what you can get at different properties you know, complimentary without using your comp dollars. And if you really do enjoy that kind of thing, that does give a very good value proposition. So like we also often talk about playing video poker and, you know, a lot of times the bar tops don't have the best pay tables, right. but if you're at somewhere like Chandelier Bar, the drinks are amazing. Are so good that you can yeah. handle so, a pay table. Exactly. Well, because you're getting back these really good drinks. So if you drink and you enjoy those kind of cocktails, like Resorts World is spot on in high limit with the cocktails, like yeah. really, really good. So you know, sometimes playing you know a little bit short pay video poker and getting really good cocktails is not bad. And Remember, like a really good video poker game, like nine six jacks are better as a ninety nine percent game. Yeah, but the, the short pay it might be ninety six percent or ninety seven percent. It's still way better than a slot machine. Sure, right. Sure. So, yeah. so if if you're getting this extremely good experience, it can make. It can, it can make a make lot sense. of sense. Mm-hmm. It can
0: make sense. Michael, can I ask you, I'm just going to back up a little bit. And for people who, because as many of the listeners to Chef Timoni, amazingly, after I've been talking to Vegas, talking about Vegas all these years, are still not maybe quite as enthusiastic about Vegas as you and I are. So could you, in a, in a nutshell, and I know this is difficult uh, for both of us, but Explain how and why comps exist and why Vegas is different from other markets. And without diving too far down the rabbit hole into Theo and advantage play and all of those good things, what what are comps and why do I get them in Vegas and, and why should I pay attention to them?
1: Well, you have to differentiate. I mean, there are some people who don't want to gamble at all for various reasons or don't sure. enjoy it. You know, the best intersection I find is people who enjoy gambling like they think it's they think it's enjoyable they have sort of looked at it like this is a losing proposition which gambling is overall but they just accept it at that and they accept what they get and what I usually say to those people is okay well you enjoy gambling so let's maximize your complimentary experience so because you can you often can and those those people are the are the target audience. In general, to answer your question, you know, a casino casino wants to keep you playing. These are negative expectation games, which simply means the house wins. Everybody knows that. The house always wins in a negative expectation game. That's because that's the way the math works. Right, (laughs) it's It's pretty straightforward. You know, exactly. You know, setting aside things where somebody gets an advantage for some reason. You know, in normal gambling, you know, none of these games are positive for the player. So what the casino is basically doing is saying, okay, depending on how much action you give us, which means how much money you run through a slot machine or video poker machine, or how much you bet at a table game, like blackjack, you know, how much you bet per hand over a period of time, us, the casino, expect to win this much money. That's what we, you know, that's what we expect.
0: They they just run the math. They say, I I know Michael is playing 60 hands an hour at whatever many dollars per hand, and our advantage is 2%, and over four hours of play, we're going to win this much money from him on a mathematical average.
1: Right. And then they say, and we're going to give the player back... 30%, 20%. 40% of what they're, of what they're doing in, in complementaries, because that keeps the people loyal and keeps them playing. Now, of course, this is where stuff varies a lot between like local casinos, and Las Vegas. Las Vegas, it tends to be much better with comps, you know, in general, because the tax, you know, there are a couple of reasons why a jurisdiction could be better in comps. One is competitiveness, but another big reason is the amount that the state takes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because uh-huh. if you look at some of these new jurisdictions, like and which aren't even new anymore, uh, but a good example is like Pennsylvania. The state gets like fifty-one percent.
0: Okay, that that makes a difference. <laughs> Whereas,
1: like you know, other places like Nevada and Atlantic City. I mean, Nevada is like what seven, eight, nine percent. Some someone will probably correct us on this. New Jersey's like twelve percent. So think about it. If the if the state is taking such a big cut of of the profits from the casino it really hurts the players, right? Because the casino needs profits to survive. And then if the state's taking a huge amount of those profits to survive, what's left there? That's why a lot of times comps will be better in places where the state taxes less, I mean, they always are because it just it just makes sense. So that's you almost don't want to play somewhere where the state is getting such a big percentage. One example I often give, I think it's like uh, Harris Joliet or something outside of Chicago. They used to say, like you know, you have these big casino companies like like Caesars, you know, used to be Harris, and for them, if they found a big player in a jurisdiction that was highly taxed, it is cheaper for them to fly that player to like New Orleans and put (laughs) him up and have him gamble there where the state's getting a very small percentage. They can give him more comps, make him happier than the home casino. So that's something to think about. That's also why Connecticut is amazing for table players, because when Connecticut got gaming on the East Coast, which was only was very young because you had Atlantic City and then Connecticut in the early 90s, starting with Foxwoods, they they negotiated a really good percentage uh, for the slots, which they were so proud of in Connecticut. But they never thought table games were going to be a thing. So uh-huh. the State doesn't take anything from table games in
0: Connecticut. Zero. Wow.
1: <laughs> so, so they treat players really well at Mohegan and Foxwoods because of this. You know, because that's one of the they're a
0: wash in cash.
1: Yeah. So, so it gets back to our thing. If you don't gamble at all, forget it. But if you do gamble, you want to think about where you're gambling, how you're gambling, what you're getting from the casino properties, because there are definitely ways to maximize. And I will leave you with, because uh, probably like gambling is one of those topics that people don't ever really want to talk too much about, Mm -hmm. you know? So, because everyone you always speak to usually says, well, I'm not really a big gambler. I don't really gamble right. Right, you know, and it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? has got a
0: sly smile as he says this,
1: (laughs) and 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 what does that mean? Does that mean you go to Las Vegas? You know, the one man going to Las Vegas and losing three or four thousand dollars in a weekend is not gambling that much. To another person, not gambling that much is a hundred dollars a day budget. So you sort of have to get past that, and usually, then when you get past that, you say, okay, so you really do play enough. Like you might lose a couple thousand in a weekend. You play medium significant. So there are ways to maximize your comps. So you sort of have to figure out, you know, the, I don't play much as somebody <laughs> right. who, you know, puts $20 in a slot machine per day, and that's it. Or somebody who really does, you know, buy in for Blackjack for 1000 thousand, fifteen hundred, 1500 you know, every day and considers that, well, it's not that much. I don't right. play, you know. Right. So yes. <laughs> so it's so all relative. <laughs> and that's where we get into a lot of that. We have a Facebook group for Travel Zork and Zorkast, where we talk about a lot of that That kind of nuance, you know, but Mm -hmm. that's but that's one of the reasons why Vegas is great, because you've got so many casinos, you've got comps, you've got so much great dining. But I could also understand for people who don't gamble, a lot of the things that you do in Vegas are available in other cities. It's just, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I still think Vegas is very special because it's all there in this amazing, oh, in consolidated area. In
0: the, yeah. In this four mile strip, literally plus, plus downtown. Well, let's, let's jump back, Michael, to the property that uh, my wife and I are going to be at in April, which is the Wynn and the Encore. And one of the, and of course, when that property opened originally, the Windside, side, I think in 2005, there was a huge emphasis on the star power chefs that they had in the property. And our chefs are here every day, except on their occasional days off. And they're the ones that are preparing your meals. One place I never got to and I regret it was a Michelin two-star place at the Wynn called Alex. And that was Alessandro Strata's restaurant and I think you had a you had a good experience there. So maybe share that with us so I can live through you at a restaurant that I never made it to.
1: You know, I've been there, I was there twice and I was just blown away, blown away by that, uh, blown away by that restaurant. And we had done, another friend of mine had a extraordinary amount of play at and win, and we were able to go to this incredible comp dinner. I'm trying to remember, you know, honestly, the way I find some of this stuff, you're going to laugh is, uh, is that I, I I look up my old, uh, my old Facebook posts. And oh, I of course. Yes. And I sometimes so actually, uh, so I was at Alex at win Las Vegas on the 5th of December 2008. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Uh, that
0: was that was right around the time Encore opened, wasn't it, or just after? I think it was. Yeah,
1: it. and I'm looking to see. So, and then I was there again in January of 2010, and I'm looking at a foie gras appetizer. I love foie gras. I mean, I really. Uh, <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm with you. Feel a little guilty, but I love it.
1: But but that's a. That's, that's very, that's very interesting. You know, it's so interesting. Actually, I don't know if anyone, I know this is going off on a tangent, but, but seriously, you could search on Facebook's Facebook by your posts that you did. And if you post a lot on Facebook, it's one of the greatest advantages of posting a lot on Facebook is that you can actually pull up these, these previous memories, you know, and
0: it's Got got a diary.
1: Yeah, it's really, really cool. But, uh, but I remember I had a, it was, I I swear it was like a sherry from 1912 for, for dessert. That was
0: super, (laughs) super cool. So, I mean, that's... Last uh, available on the Titanic.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really, it's really great stuff. But that was a, that was an amazing dinner. I'm looking, so we had a, a Volnay
0: from 1985 at that dinner. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now are you looking at pictures that's prompting this or do you have your yes, notes I, okay.
1: i'm literally looking at i'm literally going back through what i had from the facebook we had something with the quail egg and then we had a this must is this a rioja uh, vega cecilia 1996 at that dinner ah and the cheese I had was with a 1910 Madeira. Wow, wow, I found it. Wow, and I'm doing this on the fly. This is not <laughs> bad technology for an old man. <laughs> this is very
0: uh, impressive. And then I
1: finished off the night with a Hennessy XO and a Davidoff Grand Cru Number no. 4, which is one of my favorite uh, cigars. And I saw somebody hit four aces with a kicker in the win-high limit room and a $100 video poker machine for 400000 So that was wow. an interesting
0: that was uh, <laughs> interesting
1: <laughs> well trip. So, so this is that was that you know fifth of december uh dinner it was really uh, really really
0: cool was was the uh, apart from the foie gras what uh, what other food picks do you see and was it a was it a tasting menu i'd guess that it was
1: we didn't do a tasting menu oh, okay. at dinner. The next time I went, we did a tasting in 2010. We did a tasting menu, and I'm wondering if I can f- find any of the we did. Uh, we did the tasting menu. We did a wagyu course. Uh, we also did uh, cheese and Madeira again, though a different Madeira. That's it. That was also the trip that I had the really amazing Bloody Mary crop cart at. Venetian. But anyway, yeah, I, I don't remember. I remember there was a, a sashimi course that was really, really good, but I don't seem to have a picture of it. I didn't do as many pictures back then, and the pictures were so lousy. You know, think back to 2008. Sure. Really, really bad. The so. phones were not quite as developed. <laughs> Yeah. But at least, hey, there's, what? But, you know, but I, there's a record. I, I, I got to say, as much as we give Facebook grief, and I, I think these companies are all rather evil and taking over the world. <laughs> they're all equally evil, though. <laughs> yeah. I will say it is amazing if you've documented these things on Facebook that you can search. You could search on your posts and with the right. keywords and come up with a this lot. stuff, which is amazing, because unless you have extensive notes, you would never come up with it.
0: Let's move to the other side of las vegas boulevard and a little bit south from the Wynn, and to the bellagio property it has again a, an amazing selection of restaurants the first time i did a stage in las vegas which was i think t- i think 2011 so a few years after your alex experience that was at picasso restaurant mm-hmm. in in the bellagio and i was lucky to be in the kitchen there a couple of times it was just a, an amazing fantastic experience and people technology everything anyway picasso i think Think you've been? Any thoughts to share on that place?
1: Well, it's funny. I just pulled up my picture, and I was <laughs> I was there in September of 2011. Oh wow!
0: I wonder if I cooked for you.
1: And my and my caption there was Hudson Valley foie gras, Fountain View dining al fresco at Picasso at Bellagio. Does it get better than this? So <laughs> it's tough to beat. On that dinner in September, we had this. I had a. I also noted that I had a Colorado lamb, and we. We had a, a Bordeaux Saint Emilion from 2000. So let's see. That was sort of cool. So that was, a, uh, that was also a great trip. Actually, what's interesting, that trip intersects with a wind trip because that was also a trip where I joined a friend who was at a big slot tournament. At, at Wynn, and they had a wonderful VIP uh, reception and I have a picture here of uh, these ladies with uh, double mag double magnums are those Jeroboams or something of oh, crew right yes yeah, so like, that's like the six liter size <laughs> yeah yeah so that's that was really really uh, really really cool but I I love I, if there's foie gras there will always be you know the other restaurant I really like to go off on a tangent and yeah, also was heavy on foie gras at you know at Bellagio was Michael Mina. I've always been a fan of Michael Mina and he always had a lot of, a lot of foie gras stuff going on. So that dinner, and then I was at, So that was 2011. And I think I was at Picasso one or two other times, but I really, in 2015, I was also at Picasso. So that was sort of-
0: You've had some experiences. I once had on, you might appreciate this, Michael, as a a fan of a fine after dinner drink. I was once at Michael Mina in San Francisco and Mm -hmm. I was there, I was in the city on my own, maybe on, I can't remember, on route to see somebody, but I had a couple of nights in San Francisco and I was hellbent on making it to Michael Mino, which I did, and I sat at the bar and dined on my own. They had a very nice bar menu, you know, three courses, and I had a couple of glasses of wine with that. And then at the end I was having dessert, which was, I think was a cookie. And the bartender said, Uh, would you like anything with that? And I said, yeah, I think I'll I'll try a bourbon because I just started sampling bourbons. And he gave me the, the list. And the most expensive on the list was, I think, the Booker's at $22 an ounce or something. And then he said, oh, just so you know, we've got this special one in. And it was, I'm forgetting the name now, Herschel. It was, oddly enough, what they claimed was a bourbon. It was from Pennsylvania. It had gone out of production. There were only a few bottles around. Well, I had made the choice because I wanted to go to Michael Mina. This was many years ago. Budget was tight. So I actually stayed at a hostel in the Tenderloin in San Francisco so that I had extra budget for dinner. And this uh, this shot of bourbon came out to go with my cookie at the end. The bartender poured it and he was punching it into the you know the online program to track the bill. And I saw his eyebrows go up and he said, you know, I'm just going to pour you a little bit of the bookers alongside that so you can compare them, which made me think that I was in for something of a surprise when the bill came and uh, it showed up and that one ounce was $50. So I could have skipped the bourbon at the end, skipped the hostel and stayed somewhere very nice, I think. But it's wow. it's, it's, it's a memory I, ex- I I remember. So it's an experience I remember. Well, I, probably I, worth it. I, I only ran
1: into Michael Mina once and this was at a celebrity chef brunch. In May of 2011, and I'm looking at some of the photos from that dinner, and he actually made he actually made us uh, ahi tuna tatar, which he's known for at Michael Mina. And then I have here another thing in that same May uh, celebrity brunch dinner Kobe beef and quail egg personally plated and served by Michael Mina. And what was interesting, you mentioned so you mentioned San Francisco. This is great. So I was at the San Francisco Michael Mina restaurant in 2016. Yeah. Uh, this is great. You know, this is a great way to do it. Is, to is, do it. I didn't even prepare for this. But what I'm going to tell you, and I've got to get you a picture of this and or a link for the show notes or I'll put it in a Facebook. Page. Yes, please do. But my all time favorite Michael Mina dish, there was something called the caviar parfait. Wow. And it is a multi layer dish where it's. It has it has sturgeon caviar on the top, and then it has a smoked salmon layer and a whole bunch of layers. But it is a fabulous dish. If you if you look it up, uh, you will you'll be able to find it. And I have some great pictures of it. And actually, yeah. it is featured in it's featured in a 2002 Forbes magazine article. I'll send you all of these links <laughs> afterwards. But it was wonderful because the other thing that was really I love Michael Mina. We also had a restaurant called Sea Blue, which yes. was at Mandalay. I didn't go to Sea Blue at Mandalay, or maybe I went once. But there was a Sea Blue at Borgata in Atlantic oh, City, okay. and I happen to love Atlantic City. You know, as a side note, if you ask me where I want to gamble, especially play dice, it's Atlantic City. I love Atlantic City. I'm originally from New Jersey. Great action, Borgata, one of my favorite properties, and it, and even though uh, it wasn't the most, let's just say this: that the Sea Blue at Borgata was not. It was a little bit New Jersey. (laughs) The service service was good, but it wasn't exactly like of that Vegas standard. But I loved the fact that there was a, a sea blue there, but I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at the caviar, different pictures of the caviar parfait and also some from his uh, from his website. And it's it is just an amazing, just an amazing dish. So it's something to uh, something to definitely look at. But it's- I will
0: I will definitely take a look at it. What's popping into my mind is actually the which I think is another iconic dish at uh, Jean Georges in, in New York City. And it's a soft boiled egg with caviar, which is another striking dish visually and bloody delicious. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Great, great stuff. So uh, great memories, you know, but I I always forget. I mean, I'm glad I brought up this caviar parfait because it's just, it just was such a nifty, such a nifty dish, you know, which I think was on the menu for a certain amount of time. And then you could request it or request it in advance. Uh, Okay. I give, I guess I give those restaurants a lot of credit. They're changing things up all the time, though. I'm sort of, you know, I'm the kind of person who would order the same, you know, same thing all the time. But I mean, it was, it was amazing. Actually, to tell you, there's another Facebook group which is really niche, which is called Caviar Talk, all in one word that I started, <laughs> I and I have some of these pictures in the Facebook group Caviar Talk. We don't put I don't put much in there because it's basically a Facebook group about caviar. Hey, caviar, it's
0: mm-hmm. a niche interest. but I'll have to check it out.
1: Yeah. So no, great, uh, great, great memories. Uh, really, really good stuff. But you know, I think that's that is what's so special. Getting back to Vegas, you've yeah. got this. Culmination of all of these chefs in this little area. And it's not like you don't have that in San Francisco or New York or in another city, but it's such a tight geographic area. And especially from all of the foodie stuff in Vegas, you've got all the high end stuff and you've got like the mid, you know, the mid kind of interpretations. You know, I know Gordon Ramsay's doing a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, Now you have that new Martha Stewart restaurant concept at Paris. Right. With Snoop Dogg? Is that right? Yes, yeah, something like, yeah, crazy. But then you also have really good casual dining. You have really yeah. good casual dining in downtown Las Vegas. There's just so much there. Like Hattie B's, the fried chicken place at Cosmo. Super awesome. And I used to love Blue Ribbon fried chicken outside of Bally's, but I heard a new fried chicken came place. One of my passions is fried chicken.
0: Okay. fried chicken. Nothing.
1: <laughs> Very sensible. <Yeah. laughs> Very el- fried chicken and... Pairing fried chicken with non vintage champagne.
0: Uh, it doesn't get better than, you know what? Better.
1: Champagne and fried chicken or chicken wings. Absolutely. It really goes well. You don't need expensive champagne. You just need, you know, it, it goes really, it, it goes really goes- well.
0: Did you ever go to WD-50 in New York City, Willie Dufresne's restaurant? No. And I, I ask because he had a dish on the menu. I went there once. Thank goodness I did. That was 2011. It has since closed. But he had a dish that was cold fried chicken. His theory, I think, was that fried chicken was, like many things, best the next day. So they had a dish on the menu that was cold fried chicken with caviar. So <laughs> would have been right up your alley. Wow,
1: that's <laughs> amazing. There is, you know, there's, I think there's, it's interesting when you talk about certain flavor profiles and memories you have from your childhood and other food that makes you really happy. And and there are some that I have never been able to recreate. The one with fried chicken, which is super niche, is that at some point in the 70s and 80s, Kentucky Fried Chicken had a barbecued fried chicken. And it had a very interesting flavor profile because it was like that greasy fried but with barbecue there was just something and of course this is all from like years ago memories but it was really good the next day cold uh-huh. so, yeah, I mean, uh, so i don't know why i mean something about right. uh, something about that kind of thing but i love you know i love that kind of experimentation and things like you know experimenting with different that's it's just amazing
0: yes and you're right it is amazing how a bite or even a smell i find smell is even more powerful sometimes will take you back to a memory that you haven't had in years and years but if it's some delicious bite that's echoed again now it is so powerful
1: yeah, no, it's it's true. And also, it's interesting, you know, sometimes some of the things that you can do and eat cold are as good as, as things that you would have warm. That's a great side note with what airlines get wrong sometimes on, on in-flight catering, because I often have felt that so much of in-flight food service would be better on airlines if they kept to cold dishes. Yes, warmed it because it's the it's that whole warming up process. I mean, I think maybe with some sous vide processes and other things you can do it, but it's so hard to warm something properly and then plate it right. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have you know cold dishes, you could do amazing you know amazing things. Right, you could poach you could poach fish to like the perfect, not done, too much kind of level. Mm-hmm. And then plate that, you know, for a cold dish, and then your fish is perfectly cooked, right? Yes. But try reheating a <laughs> dish. Mean- and, and oh. the person reheating it has to almost be expert at, at doing it properly. So I think it's so much safer with cold dishes. But for some reason, I think people gravitate towards main dishes that are warm. Like they feel it's like not a main dish unless if they... It, it, if
0: it's not warm. Yeah, I think you're right. You know what's interesting? I flew back from Toronto on, let me think, Sunday night. And here we are on Wednesday morning recording. So very recently flew back from Toronto and they had, I think, four choices uh, for the hot portion of the dinner menu. And for whatever reason, I was just not feeling like the beef, chicken or fish, whatever the sort of meat options were. And so I picked the cheese ravioli. said, you know what? Sure, I'll have the cheese ravioli. It was the best thing I've eaten on an airplane in a long, long time. And I think because that's a pretty forgiving one to heat up, right? (laughs) It's got a nice thick sauce on it, got some cheese sprinkled on top. It was
1: great. And that's also why like things like curries work so well. I mean, I think they're just certain things. I mean, I think you realize this a lot more when you, when you cook, you know, to me, like I get it. Like every once in a while, someone will have like in first class on a flight, you know, a steak and they'll be, look, it's cooked perfectly, but there's so much that can go wrong with the reheating and everything. And to me, you know, when I have a steak, I want it to come out, you know, I want it to be cooked at a super high temperature and come out, you know, like char on it. Char. Yeah. (laughs) And how do you how do you do that? But, you know, curries, like you said, uh you know i think you could do it with with certain like stewy kind of things you can mm-hmm. yeah like you say are much more forgiving but that's it's very very interesting how how that is i mean i've seen before for like first class for airlines like they have like these elaborate plating diagrams and all of this but so much of it comes down to the care that the flight crew takes with this stuff. It's sure. a lot. I mean, it's it's like a it's a pretty big deal to, you know, pull those meals together in in first class on a long haul on a long haul flight. There's a lot of detail to how you're supposed to plate these, how you're supposed to reheat things. Right. There's an extreme amount of A nuance there and i think like for people who regularly cook and i cook a lot that wouldn't be a big deal but it is it is a lot to do and you're also doing it in a super small place for multiple people i mean i think like potentially with turbulence (laughs) well i think a few airlines before like like turkish i think had like somebody that was like quote the chef that Mm -hmm. handles that kind of thing but it's it is interesting i don't know why it is so compelling but there is nothing more interesting to me than being at 39,000 feet and doing some form of fine dining, even though it isn't always the most fine, but there's something extremely romantic about that, you know, having your wine lined up and doing it. I don't, I mean, it's, I think, you know, either you're into it or you're not, but I think that's, that's very interesting.
0: It can be a magical experience. Michael, we've just got a few minutes left, but I want to take us back, of course, to Las Vegas and get your thoughts on some general topics. I'll tie two of them together. One, Las Vegas in the old days, and I know you are an enthusiastic student of Vegas history. Vegas in the old days, I think, was very much seen as a value destination. The 99 cent shrimp cocktail, the all you can eat buffet for $5.99 or whatever it was, That very much has changed Um, to my experience now. Vegas is it's quite pricey when I go there. I'm willing to pay it because I have some great experiences. But do you think Vegas is still a value destination, whatever value means? And then I'm going to ask you about tipping in the industry. But let's let's start with Vegas as as value or not.
1: You know what? The values are still there. You just have to look harder for them. I do a lot of work with Las Vegas advisor. Las Mm -hmm. Vegas advisor does the top 10 you know, the top 10 values of the month. And they're definitely there. You know, there are properties like Ellis Island that have like really good, like, steak specials and things i mean none of this is gourmet. i mean we have to be completely clear when vegas was a value destination and you were going to a 299 buffet you were still going to a 299 buffet (laughs) it was a good value but it was not gourmet food well those values are still there at like ellis island at a number of places downtown they're there they're not necessarily on the strip but they're there but you know the level of food now is much different. When you go to Wicked Spoon at Cosmopolitan, when you go to the Bellagio buffet, when you go to Bachanel buffet, you know these buffets are expensive, but they're pretty amazing. You mm-hmm. know the level of food that you get. It really wasn't like that years ago in Vegas. Like I would say in eighties, like the best buffet in Vegas at that time was the Bally's big kitchen buffet which was still really which was good and was still starting to get i'm sure a little bit more expensive at that point but i i really you know the values are there they're just perhaps not not as many and not as easy to find and definitely not as many on on the strip but the values the values are there if you look for them uh, i think the problem is that a lot of stuff now is celebrity, gourmet, experience, concept. You know, one of the things that gets me crazy when you sit down at a restaurant and they come over to you, "Hi, I've been here for you. Do you understand our concept?" I'm like, "I order food, and then I, I order, eat it." Then you, <laughs> you know, I eat <laughs> but, but I, I really do. I really do think the values are there, and you know, everything is everything is relative, right? Because a lot of cities are really expensive. So when you look at Vegas, compare Vegas, and this gets super complicated with COVID right now, but compare Vegas to Miami Beach, compare Vegas to New York City, compare Vegas to London, compare Mm -hmm. Vegas to Paris, the hotels in most cases are a bargain comparatively you know though now business has been really busy and they're more more expensive on the weekends than they have been before because more people are traveling to Vegas because they can't travel other places but I, but i still think i still think the bargains i still think the bargains are there and definitely the tip like las vegas advisor they they throw out some really good bargains there's also stuff off strip Yes. Which, which is yeah. pretty good. If you, rent a, if you rent a car, there's a lot. I mean, Vegas Vegas has amazing off-strip. I went to a Japanese restaurant and did an omakase, which yeah. blew my mind a couple months ago. Which, I,
0: which one? Do you remember
1: the name? Uh, Sushikama. I've, oh, yes. I've, 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 I posted about it in the Facebook group, in the Travels Org Facebook group. Amazing. Okay. And quite frankly, you know, that that omakase is a fraction of the price of what it would be at the amazing Japanese restaurant at Wynn. So there's there's a lot there. Also for Vegas, another really great thing to check out are the Groupon's. There are some oh, okay. really good Groupon's, also for like off-strip massages and things, all kinds of things. But there's mm-hmm. there's there's a lot in Vegas because you've got a lot of tourists. So right. I, it just you got to work a little bit harder and find it a value. You're not walking down a strip anymore, seeing signs all over the place for $2.99 steak and eggs. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, it's, but I think, but the world is also a lot different than it was 20 years ago or Fair 30 enough. years ago. So I, I I still think it's a value destination. I'm sticking with it.
0: All right. Agreed. Let's talk a little bit about the industry generally. You could tie this to Vegas if you like, or uh, other places you've been recently. But what do you think about tipping, are we ever going to move to an all-in gratuity model? Do you think that's a good idea? And are you seeing, you know, we're hearing lots of reports, particularly with the fallout of of the pandemic, of people fleeing the hospitality industry and of properties just desperate for staff. Do you see that correcting? What what is hospitality going to look like going forward on the tipping front and the ability of restaurants to retain good people?
1: I think the days of getting super low-priced labor and sort of probably a little bit taking advantage of people are over. I think there's been a huge shift and correction since COVID. I think a lot of this could potentially be very positive. You know, I like the idea of employees getting a decent wage and having some level of benefits. You know, I think it keeps them loyal. I think one of the things that has been successful in Las Vegas has been that a lot of properties are unionized and people do get benefits and they do feel that they're being taken care of. I mean, this is gets so political and sure. such, a, such an argument about that kind of thing. I I just, you know, my hope, and and I noticed it recently in Miami Beach, where everything is basically a 20% autograt, we experienced a lot of good service in a lot of good places. So if the outcome of this is that the employees are getting a better wage, are getting benefits, and gratuities are a little bit higher, and I'm, I'm never sure, you know, the autograt thing, is extremely controversial because I know it's done some places because you worry about like foreign tourists who aren't used to how much you tip, or some people who just don't tip properly, you know, based on the wages. I mean, I know of course we start to get into a little bit of a conflict now because if the wages are going up and the tips are going up, you know, it's yeah. it's a little it's a little bit complicated. One of my only issues that I I don't mind auto-gratuity. If the service is fine and I've experienced mostly good service, that doesn't bother me. It does become an issue at fine dining with cocktails and wine. Right. right, because yes. Yes. if if you order, you know, I was joking with somebody the other day. I said, "Well, the problem with the auto gratuity is if you order a five hundred dollar bottle of wine, that's a hundred dollar gratuity being added to the bill, and then of course that friend, well, that's a problem I never have because I never order a five hundred dollar <laughs> bottle of wine."
0: So, uh, but that may but, be the ultimate first world problem.
1: Exactly, but but that is a problem because I really think that if you order expensive alcohol. You know, that's that probably should be tipped at about 10%. And the food and beverage, the regular food and beverage should be tipped at 20 to 25%. I'm sort of fine with that. I just. On a really high end, you know, if you, if people, especially restaurants that mark up, you know, they're marking up the champagne two, already three, four right. times. So you know, you're taking a forty five dollar bottle of champagne, you're selling it for $150, hundred and seventy. Say you're with a group of people, you order four of those bottles, you're up to like six, seven hundred dollars. You're gonna then put you put twenty percent, <laughs> yeah, twenty percent on basically that. I think that might be. That that might be that might be overdoing it a little bit. I don't know how you can differentiate with that, but I've I think you know I think the service industry has changed. We'll, yeah. we'll say I mean it's it's hard to tell because short term, long term, but I
0: sure. It, but, but it does feel like there's been a definitive break from the old world uh, as a result of COVID. I think that's true. I think whatever happens, you're right. The details are still going to have to shake out, but I think it's going to be different from what we had before.
1: Yeah, but also, I mean. The question becomes, and I had a lot of restaurants I used to dine on when I was in the New York area, where your people, you know, it's a career for someone. Like, they're a server at a restaurant, and they love working for that restaurant. The customers treat them well, and it is a career. And the question becomes, if you want people to be career, you know, you want them to be be that good. Yeah, you want them, you know, I remember like Harry's at the Woolworth building in New York, and you know, other restaurants that I used to, you know, these guys were like career waiters, and they loved it. And they loved what they were doing. And, and that's it. And they also provide those kind of people provide really good service, right? So the yes. question, do you want do you want all of your dining, you know, wait staff to be completely transient? Just just doing this until they find the next better right. the thing? real job. Or do you want them to be proud of what they're doing and feel, you know, I'm doing a great job and I'm being compensated for it? And doesn't it it's help everyone? And I think we've seen that before, you know, in in restaurants. So I think that could be a really positive. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't I mean, I understand that in general, hospitality is always going to be slightly transient. You know, I mean, I think it is sometimes just a point in somebody's life that they're doing that because they feel that they're pursuing some other things on the side and that fits in well with their schedule. But, you know, for other people, it can be a really fulfilling career. And in order for it to be a really fulfilling career,
0: they have to be paid decently and have benefits. Absolutely. Well, Michael, I think that's a great place to end it. Thank you for an amazing discussion. I am yet more fired up for Vegas in April after having talked to you today. Where can my listeners who don't know best follow along with you and Travelzork and, and keep up with uh, with all that's going on? It's so
1: easy because everything basically is Travelzork. So okay. I'm, I'm on Twitter a lot at Travelzork. Instagram is at travelzork uh travelzork.com if you want to find out more about our travel if you type travelzork travel.com that brings you to the travel page and also zorkcast which is our which is our podcast that's also at zorkcast on twitter and I definitely our Facebook group is sort of fun because it's not really that big. So you can find that Facebook group, and uh, you know, that's listed under Zorkast Travel Zork. And we talk about a lot of those kind of things. But basically, if you Google Travel Zork, it'll all
0: sort of pop up. It'll all pop up. <laughs> one, Travel Zork is one word. Fantastic. Michael, thank you again. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Michael, it was a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. I can't wait to visit Vegas again with my booking through Travel Zork Travel, and we'll definitely stay in touch via your Facebook group. Thank you for being here too. I appreciate you spending some time with me here on Chef Timoney. And for the next episode, I've got another fun interview with another great podcaster, and this is the one who's a lawyer. This next guest brings a 360 degree perspective on Las Vegas. That talk is coming up soon. Oh, that bourbon I mentioned, the one that cost me fifty bucks and a night in a hostel in the Tenderloin, I was slightly wrong on the name. It's not Herschel, it's A. H. Hirsch. But I was right on the state. It's a bourbon from Pennsylvania. Until moments ago, at a Google search, I always thought that bourbon had to be from Kentucky. Turns out that thanks to a 1964 congressional consent resolution, not a law, it just need be made in the U.S. Although 95% of bourbon is apparently made in Kentucky. Anyway, I will. We'll put a link to an article about what makes Hirsch so special into the show notes. If you're enjoying Chef Timoney, please tell a food loving friend about the show and please take a few minutes to leave a written review for the podcast. Apple Podcasts is a great place to do that. Not only will I appreciate it, but your review will help other people to find the show. Please connect with me as well. If you've got a question or a comment, perhaps a topic idea or a guest suggestion, I'd love to hear from you. You will find me at Chef Timoney on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can connect with me on LinkedIn by looking for me under my name, Graham McLennan, or just email me to graham at chefdemoni.com That is all for today. Thanks very much for being here. I'm Graham McLennan, and I'll see you again soon with yet more food, chefs, Vegas, and a lawyer right here on Chef Timoni.